This week's episode of Screen Talk is being brought to you by Frontline PBS, presenting Academy Award nominee for Best Documentary Feature for Sama. Winner of over 50 awards worldwide, including Best Feature and Courage Under Fire IDA Documentary Awards, and nominated for four BAFTA Awards. For Sama is an intimate and epic journey into the female experience of war, a love letter from a young mother to her daughter. The film tells the story of Wad al-Kataeb's life, through five years of the uprising in Aleppo, Syria, as she falls in love, gets married, and gives birth to Sama, all while cataclysmic conflict rises around her. In theaters and now sprint streaming on PBS.org. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always, or most times, by our editor at large, Ann Thompson. And we missed you at Sundance this past week. We had a nice time with a special live edition, but uh, I know you had some other things to do with award seasons going on, so I'm dying to know what it was like for a Sundance veteran like yourself not to be there when all this stuff was going down. You know, it was really weird. It was like I knew exactly whatever, you know, I, 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 I followed on Twitter, of course, and on the site itself. But, you know, I knew when people were arriving and when they were doing their grocery shopping and, and when they were getting ready for the opening night and what films they were going to and the excitement of going to that first screening at Sundance. And, and then the reviews started coming in and I was tracking what the buys were and who, who was doing what. I had serious FOMO. I wanted to be there really badly. And what I recognized was that what I was really missing, along with the discovery of films before they've been written about, which is so exciting and always my thing, is the... Um, just seeing the people, you know, all the distributors at the Eccles waiting for the movie that nobody's seen that, that might be the one, um, you know, tracking the, the buzz, going to the HBO party or going to to the Synetic party, waiting in the line <laughs> for the Synetic party, which my I don't wait in lines. You know that. You know, but you know it, <laughs> I'm always that person. And the person who was doing it this year was my daughter, uh, uh, Nora. I, know. You know, I got a call from, from she you. She was in line was a, for hours. Triangulation. Hours. I know. But, yeah, well, uh, you could tell us why your daughter was at Sundance this year. She was a co-producer on Miss Americana, the um, uh, Taylor Swift movie, that she kept entirely secret for me until <laughs> it became uh, announced that it was at Sundance. And so I had made my plans not to go. So I missed I missed her opening night. Um, she works for Morgan Neville's company, Tremolo Productions, and they made that movie. But that's going to be on Netflix soon enough, so you can have a special private screening in your living room. Exactly. You know. I will catch I, up. I, I think it is fascinating to hear you talk about that because so much, nobody can be everywhere in one point at one moment in time. And even when you're at Sundance, a lot of what you experience is through word of mouth, through social media, through this kind of general sense that so many things are happening all at once. So that's but you're kind of also there. seeing each other in the flesh, which is exactly what you and David Ehrlich and, and Kate Erbland were talking about on the podcast. And I thought that was interesting that you, that was the main takeaway was how important it was to not only be seeing these films, but in a room with other people. Yeah. We, it reminds us, I think that is exactly what I missed. It reminds yeah. us of how much in our little pods we all are and with a lot of virtual viewing and a lot of virtual responding. Yeah. And there's a lot of armchair analysis that happens throughout the year when you aren't on the front lines. And being at Sundance, I think, is, is notable in the sense that, yes, you see how movies play in the room, but also you, you run into people organically. You meet the 
you know, breakthrough talent or the industry people and you hear on a real time basis how they're talking about the business and the art form and all these different things and, and being at the center of that is in some ways even more valuable than talking That's about the highlights missed. of the lineup. That's yeah. what I missed. If I'd gone to the Synetic Party, which is my ritual on Monday night, I would have been talking to all the people in there, what's going on, who's buying what, what does it mean? And I would have had some, I mean, I have a sense of it. Obviously, um, on Monday was the, the reason I didn't go was the Academy lunch. I would have had to come back on Sunday night or Monday morning, which would have been really anxiety provoking, which is what Insane. Tom Quinn did the head of neon who bought the biggest uh, buy of the festival Palm Springs. By 69 cents. The, How, the 17.5.69. <laughs> so tell me uh, what, what was your, what was your take on that film? I'm really curious. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. It was like, there's that inevitable Monday morning piece on how it's a slow market that it felt like everybody was, was scrambling to prevent from happening because all these big deals happened right at the end of the market or right at the end of the first weekend where the market just sort of really showed its potential. But with Palm Springs, so I actually made the effort to go see this movie at a late screening the night the cinematic party was going. And I showed up late to that party, even though, as you say, it's, it's the place to be at the end of the uh, first weekend because of all the stuff that's happening, because there was so much attention around this movie and a lot of what people had been telling me about it was, you know, it's pretty good. It's, it's a rom-com of sorts. It's not going to blow your mind. And I think underplaying it was an interesting way to go because it certainly is the most commercial film in the competition, in the U S dramatic competition. I saw it's, it's essentially a reworking of groundhog day with more of a sci-fi component, but Andy Sam Samberg, who also produced it with the other lonely Island guys, stars opposite Kristen Milioti and uh, they're the sort of this will they or won't they couple who are trapped in the same day of a wedding in Palm Springs over and over again and it, it's and J.K. Simmons is in it too and he's kind of trapped in this as well and it gets increasingly ludicrous but at the same time it, be it becomes this really interesting take on the on the rom-com because there's all these questions about you know, monogamy and living through the same routine with the same person over and over again and how that affects your connection to them that are explored through a very clever path. Oh, that's fashion. interesting. That's a good hook. So, yeah. So I think what's, what's, what's good about it is that it's, you know, Andy Samberg is, um, is a star and people assume that he's going to be funny and he is, but the movie earns its, uh, its right to use him. Like it doesn't just take that for granted. It's, not, it's, it's a little bit, honestly, like when safety not guaranteed broke out at the festival, it has that kind of charm factor and a breakthrough director and all that kind of stuff. So well, I see exciting. why this happened. All yeah, right, and, so, the and, other, and so you think it has a, a theatrical future? Because there are a couple well, of other movies that have theatrical distribution going in, like Minari and yeah. um, and like the Eliza Pittman movie, right. um, which uh, never, rarely, never rarely, sometimes some, always, yeah. which Focus I, um, has. Yeah, and that's going to be in say, Berlin. We're going to see that yes. in Berlin. So, so I would say this about I mean, because you asked about the potential and, and uh, for the for biggest theatrical. sale of potential. Yeah. Uh, so, as as I understand it, most of this money, if not all, Hulu. Of it, is Hulu, Hulu money. And and as I said on the the live podcast, I, we don't really know how all of that is being broken down and what sort of potential this movie has on VOD versus theatrically. But I think that. As I said, it's a, it, it has a Groundhog Day premise and also skews younger. And there are probably some viewers who don't have, you know, a relationship to Groundhog Day. This could be their Groundhog Day because it's a very charming movie with a popular 
comedic star that is also kind of surprising and has a, a genre hook to it. So I think the, the potential there is that it's a big enough crowd pleaser that it could be a real kind of summer surprise. Okay. But maybe even if it's not, the the Hulu factor is a powerful one because it'll I, obviously that's be That's going to be there. something we should follow up with with Tom Quinn because it, it's an interesting question. I mean, what Netflix is clearly doing now that we're looking back on the Oscar season is is they have platformed their movies and then they go wide instead of broadening in theaters they're broadening on Netflix. See what I mean? Right. So that's, right. It's that's a different the model, model that you yeah. could apply to Hulu as well if you if yeah. you but I my sense is that Neon has a much more robust theatrical um, uh, campaign going for for its films. So the thing about Never Rarely Sometimes Always which I can't wait to see and we'll see in Berlin is, is that it doesn't, in terms of a theatrical uh, release, even though it has great reviews, it doesn't have any stars in it. It's it's newcomers, right? Yeah, I mean, that's all of Eliza Hittman's movies. That's her, her style. I've always liked uh, her films, but they've and, been uh, minute. They've been tiny. But I think, well, and, and it's coming out in March, which is what Focus did last year with Mustang. So I, presumably that's, that's the approach model. you're taking. Okay. I, I think the thing that that's really impressive about this movie and why I think it has potential to be a bigger hit and and have a wider appeal than the last two is that it's about such a specific set of events that it's, it's about a woman in Pennsylvania who travels to New York to get an abortion. She's because she's a teenager and the laws in her home state make, make it so that she would have to tell her parents, basically get her parents consent. And, uh, you know, she doesn't want to tell them. So she goes on this kind of odyssey to New York. And it's this kind of got this jittery real time thing. I mean, the Safties are, are good at doing that stuff, too. You know, non-professional actors on the scene. You know, the, the, it's almost like a survival movie in a way. But it taps into something that that is obviously, you know, many people can relate to. It's an important issue for our time. Whereas the last two movies she's made, Beach Rats and It Felt Like Love, didn't. So no. I think that's why this movie could actually have a bigger, greater resonance because it's, yes, it's a quote unquote abortion drama, but it's one that is is very watchable. It's not just like a, a really depressing kind of thing about somebody in a horrible situation. It's 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 almost like a thriller in a way. Mm. So I hope it has a bigger life. I think it deserves one. What about as we're Minari? recording? Tell yeah, me. I mean, as we're, well, that's the thing. As we're recording, we don't know what's going to win the grand jury prize. Grand jury prize can go a lot of different ways. Minari and um, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always are absolutely the the real standouts of the competition along with Zola. But Minari is a much quieter, subtler kind of experience. It's set in the 80s. It's about a Korean family that moves to blue-collar America and, and, and deals with various hardships therein. And Steven Yoon, who you know broke out on The Walking Dead and was so amazing and burning is once again playing, uh, speaking in Korean as opposed to trying to play, you know, an Americanized character in a, in a role that is like last year with the farewell, very much about a distinctly American experience from people who immigrate here. And what the, what's notable about it is that it has a slow burn quality. that's very performance driven and it sneaks up on you. It's like an Ozu movie or something like that, where it's like, you kind of have to sort of sit with it. So, so it's not a movie film. that, well, I would say it's not a movie that benefits from hype. It's a, it's not an art film in the sense that it it's it's approachable. I think the drama is 
is something that, that a lot of people could watch and, and be okay with, but it's not reinventing the medium in any, in any particular kind of way. It doesn't have that auteur kind of quality that, gotcha. say, Hitman does. Gotcha. So I think it's interesting to compare those two, and I'm sure A- A24 is managing expectations with Minari. You know, if it, if it gets so much critical love and maybe it wins some awards or whatever, it could keep getting that momentum going, but it's not... It's not exciting in the same kind of way. And then Zola is just a crazy movie. It's like a Spring Breakers type of road trip with strippers Sounds and sex like it'll workers. Play young. And yeah, that's and it's just a really fun ride. And Taylor Page and Riley Keogh are amazing in it. So the other one that but I think... But there's also, hasn't... can I just bring up a point? There's a lot of, of movies directed by women here yeah, the, well, that, I... that came out of the, in, in terms of the top of the pack, You've got Janisha Bravo because a lot of people did like like Zola. You've got Josephine Decker and and Shirley. You've got Hitman's movie we've discussed, and then there's Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman, which I can't which wait I, to see. I and I haven't seen with that Carrie one. I, uh, Mulligan. There's a another competition film which hasn't been picked up yet, but I suspect will go for a lot of money, which is the 40 year old version. And that's, uh, that's like the typical kind of Sundance breakout movie because Rada Blank, she's like a, a playwright uh, and this is her first feature, but she's got such a distinctive voice. It's about being a black woman in Harlem writing theater and, and trying to be a respected artist, but dealing with all kinds of bullshit from, you know, racist white producers. And she teaches, theater to kids who aren't really interested in learning and it, but it, but it's just it's it's got that kind of quirky fun quality while also addressing serious issues and it's it's shot in black and white a lot of people are comparing it to early spike lee which i think is kind of accurate it's just a little too long and rough around the edges which is a question of whether or not it's going to win over so the it's, jury it's but talent it's talent it's discovery. Talent. yeah so so did you see the glorias the julie taymor movie no, but it, it seems to have played quite well. I was, I was honestly kind of surprised. Read, I'm actually trying to read the between the lines. It it, it it feels it feels like everybody's treating it with respect without loving it. It does that well, sound I've fair? Seen, I've seen conventional thrown around a lot, which is surprising for a movie that has multiple actors playing one character, directed by Julie Taymor. I know, but so. but at the same time, it, it, it seems to have won over some people who have not necessarily been responsive to Taymor's work in the past. So I'll be curious to see what happens with that one. There's another one that hasn't quite sold yet, though it sounds like it's it's getting close to an A24 deal, and that's Kajillionaire, Miranda July's film, which I don't know if that, I mean, when I first saw it, I figured, yeah, it's probably a small movie, but the more I think about it, a lot of people really, really, the more it screened, the better it played. Well, and this you, is a movie kind of, that is just... She's got a brand in a way. I mean, yeah, I, I've always liked that. her films. And this one is, it's got great performances by Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger as, as these two con artists, but more importantly, Evan Rachel Wood as their daughter, who has never known a life without being a part of a family of con artists. And she meets somebody who kind of opens herself her up to new possibilities. And they, I mean, people know now Evan Rachel Wood on Westworld playing, you know, a robot waking up to the world. And that's basically what she's doing in this movie. She's been pre-programmed to, to, to live a certain way. And she gradually over the course of this very, you know, idiosyncratic movie 
learns that it doesn't always have to be that way. And that, and, and the more you think and talk about it, the more endearing that message is. Because it's a Miranda July movie, and it's very unpredictable. So I think that one could have a real life. So um, so the, the, the word that, that hit me was clearly that Elizabeth Moss did a really great job in Shirley, which is one I really want to see, because I'm a fan of Shirley Jackson, the author, yeah, I mean, anyway. We've um, been hearing about this movie for a long time, and it's a big step up for Justine Decker in theory because it's uh, you know it's a biopic quote unquote and uh, and it's a perhaps more traditional material and it's got it's notable stars in it and her other films have always been scrappier and more experimental but honestly when you see it it doesn't feel like that radical of a move because it's it's a very um, it's a very I don't, I don't want to say quiet but it's it's a very nuanced movie it's less about plot and more about texture and and Moss is just so good in it and it's got this it, it creeps up on you at first it doesn't really seem like much is happening and then you realize how it's investigating the the kind of turmoil of the creative process and of course moss it's like the more you watch her face the more you realize that she doesn't just like quote unquote act like she gets inside these characters and uh, and that's the essence of the movie that's and, why, and why i want to see it well. she never yeah. bores me ever well one of the movies that didn't do well uh clearly <laughs> was d reese's follow-up to mudbound uh, and honestly I, I, yeah i mean the this joan didion adaptation that uh, played terribly. It's I didn't see it because uh, I wasn't. It was I bad. had heard, and um, I want to check I, it out I for myself. They're going to screen yeah, it I, for me. I do plan to watch it eventually. I just didn't prioritize it because the reaction was even worse than it than was what like I across the board. It was across which, the board. Which sucks because rejection. you know she's she's also at the festival on the jury. So. I, you know, the idea of having to deal with a dud in tandem with uh, having to judge other people's work is, is uh, well, not you great. Know, when but... you get when you get to be one of the big boys, you just have to take it like a man. You know, it's one of those things. Where, oh, God. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. You got you know, you you, you get you, you you deliver something fabulous. And when you disappoint, uh, the critics are going to tell you. You know, or you know, take it like a strong, independent human being <laughs> <laughs> to correct the record I'm on that one. I know, yeah, you're correcting me now. Um, so I did you see the father, the Anthony Hopkins, uh, which I thought didn't was see really that one, but good. I know you, you've I saw got that insight one. into yeah. that. And Sony Classics did well, they, they got that before the festival, and then they also bought um, Truffle Hunters, which is a very charming, visually magnificent look at exactly that in Italy. It's kind of like this, it, 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 I don't want to make the Honeyland comparison too, uh, why too specific because it's not it's not quite as good, but it's also not as specific as that. But it's more about capturing a very unique world of people outside of society who are doing something that may or may not uh, have long term prospects because of the environment and stuff. So they did well with that, and then they also got this movie, which I guess they kind of we're already setting up anyway. I carry you with me. Heidi Ewing's first narrative, which, which you've seen as well. I like that very so, much. It yeah, was and very I did too. Moving. And I, yeah. and you wrote about some of the hybrid uh, movies, which take documentary techniques and, yeah. and blend this them. This was a great This year. was a it's good a, example of that. And, yeah. and you and, saw Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, which sounded yeah, which, fabulous to me. That hasn't sold either. That's like this amazing, amazing uh, concept, which is the last night of a bar 
and all these characters, these alcoholics who basically live there and it's like their community, except the bar they shot it in, it, it, it's set in Las Vegas, but it's actually a bar in New Orleans. And they, it was this project where they gathered all these people that they cast, some, one of whom is an actor, others are just like people in their network. And they got them to just like go there for like 12 hours or something and filmed around them. And none of that's acknowledged in the movie. So the conversation, I can't tell you how many times I've debated whether or not this should be called a documentary with people, which is a credit to, you know, the, the kind of filmmaking ambition behind it. So. Well, they set it up and let it rip, right? Exactly. They, they basically so. cast people. Christopher Fall did a good story on it, which uh, was, was informative. Uh, oh, well, let's do the docs. I mean, I got to see some of those. I saw Welcome to Chechnya which, from David France, which has this amazing um, face disguise visual effects technique where they, they took activists in New York and basically put their faces over the faces of, of the people who, who they were trying to rescue uh, from, from the terrible, terrible um, persecution in, in, in Chechnya and life-threatening persecution. Uh, so that was, that was a really good, strong movie, I thought. And, and the VFX worked. Did you think so? I, that one I still need to catch up on. I'll probably see it by the end of the week because we had somebody else covering it. And um, I think that it, the reason why it appeals to me is because David France is so good at finding new ways of of um, making LGBT situations resonate. I mean, the last movie he made was a, was a, almost like a detective story. And this one, the way he uses technologies is fascinating. So it's yeah, nice yeah, to see yeah. that that You'll played see. so well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and th- then you saw Dick them. Johnson is Dead, the Kirsten Johnson movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Kristen Johnson who broke out of the festival with Camera Person. This is really um, not just powerful, but also incredibly inventive personal odyssey where she's sort of she's wrestling with the anxiety of what of when her father will die. And so she collaborates with him on a series of stagings of his death. So you see him die in all these different kind of dramatic ways over the course of this thing, while also telling this this almost like a diary type of film about how uh, her fa- her father moves in with her as his uh, he's starting to go more senile and, and what that process is like. But it's got this sort of surrealist component to it that I think is very um, sh- uh, shrewd because it, it makes it less of a pity party and more incisive. And it's going to be on Netflix. So it's exactly the kind of movie that benefits from that approach because it's, it's a, a small, unusual film with an emotional polish to it that will probably continue to find new audiences that are open to it. So that's very impressive. I also thought that the dissident, while not groundbreaking, uh, is uh, an important movie. That, that Brian uh, Fogel? Yeah, Brian Fogel, who obviously won Oscar for Icarus. This is a more straightforward piece of filmmaking about the Jamal Khashoggi murder. But what we get from it is specifically what sort of factors were involved in the decision to kill this guy in the terrible way in which he was killed. And it has a lot to do with the nature of censorship in Saudi Arabia and how dissidents who live abroad are still vulnerable to the, the way the government um, tracks people. The, the hacking that they're capable of doing mm. is, is something that Very is often disturbing. invisible. Yeah. And, and one of the big revelations, which kind of came out before Sundance, but it's sort of baked into the narrative of the documentary is that, so what, the, what they do is, is they use this thing called Pegasus to get into your phone. And, and the way, all you need is like a link or something that looks like, say, a, a plane ticket. And um, 
then you get uh, then you get this thing that where they basically can access everything on your phone. You might not be aware of it. And, and one of the things we find out is that Mohammed bin Salman, who claims he didn't know about the Jamal Khashoggi murder being a plan or whatever, so he had been directly texting on WhatsApp with Jeff Bezos at some point and was not happy that the Washington Post had reported on the Jamal Khashoggi thing uh, to the extent that they did. And the way in which Jeff Bezos' phone was eventually hacked uh, seems to have come from a WhatsApp message that Mohammed bin Salman himself sent to Bezos. Wow. So it's kind of insane that, you know, that just how directly it's related to the, to the to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, that this kind of thing is happening at the highest level. So I think whatever happens to that movie, I'm sure it's it's expensive. Hillary Clinton, who had her Hulu series, was at the screening. So there's obviously a tremendous amount of interest in this story. I think that one's really going to have an interesting life. The film that sold for the most money at the festival was Boys State, uh, went to... Uh, that Apple got the biggest A24. raves that I could mm-hmm. hear about from from what I could tell. And I would I would manage expectations. I think it's good. Um, in to to a certain extent, it's not groundbreaking or as uh, cinematically exciting as some of the other stuff we've discussed. But it's certainly a movie that a lot of people can watch and will talk about because it's this. It captures this week long thing that's been going on for generations, where um, a bunch of kids gather at the Capitol. In this case, it's in Texas. In, in Austin, and for one week they build their own government and they run for various positions, including uh, governors of their uh, parties, and it follows these different character types, one of whom is a child from an immigrant family, another whom has more conservative platforms, and there's some dirty campaigning that goes on, and so you end up seeing how with these kids uh, being forced into the situation, the ideology they're raised on ends up informing what they do, and you get almost like a microcosm of what happens in our electoral process. So it's it's going to generate a lot of conversations about you know where you know how we got here and 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 how you know the new future is learning about democracy. So I could see where that um, that enthusiasm came in. Now the the reported number on this was ten million dollars. I've, I've been told that was underreported, so I don't know exactly wow. by how much. But but it's 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 Apple money. A twenty four seems to be involved in, to some so degree. So you've in got terms a lot of, of the streamers uh, yep. partnering up with with the uh, theatrical distributors, and they're going to figure out what the right, uh, especially with A twenty four, what the right uh, way to go is. Um, yep. So if, 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 all right, let's let's say we've we've covered the waterfront for the moment, but. What are what is your sense of which of these films might possibly have some kind of Oscar future? Because Honestly, it's looking like not so much. Except not for so Dark. much. Yeah, I mean, in terms of narratives, it's it's too early to say for certain. I mean, there there were films like Worth, for example, with with Michael Keaton, Sarah Colangelo's film about the um, you know a lawyer post nine eleven and. Um, that would that have to become a theatrical hit. Basically. Would have to be a theatrical hit, and it, I didn't see it. it. Didn't seem to to play quite as well. I don't know about the. Yeah, Glorias. I didn't we get don't that know sense. Gloria's maybe could be something. Um, like I said, I think Minari maybe for Steven Yoon, but it's such a small film it that it needs to have like a it. life. So in terms of stuff, the father in the, in for the, Hopkins, if it turns yeah, into something, it, it has it's to really, really very good. take off. It's good. So I think it's, it's really at the end of the day, it's, it's probably among the docs. Some of these docs are probably going to be in the conversation. I think that's kind of the, uh, indisputable, 
but it's a real question of how they get out into the world and and how long they stay in the conversation because there were there were several from last year's lineup that were nominated this year absolutely american factory no they all so honeyland was too yeah yeah I will say that the, my favorite movie at the festival is a doc that hasn't been picked up yet, but is in uh, World Cinema Documentary Competition, which is what, what Honeyland won a year ago. And that's The Mole Agent, which is this Chilean documentary about a, a private investigator who hires an old man to infiltrate a nursing home because his client thinks that her mother's being abused there. And so he gets this old guy to go in there and with like spy glasses and stuff, but the guy's a total Luddite and he doesn't know how to use the technology. And he kind of just ends up befriending all these old people <laughs> and just losing track of the, it sounds I mean, wonderful. it's, it's, to- it's great. I mean, it almost feels like a scripted movie and I don't know the conditions of how they shot everything, but it's, it's the sort of thing that someone will probably snap up the U S remake rights to, because it just has all that in there. So I hope it, I hope it gets out there and, and, and has a life because uh, it is a kind of crowd pleaser that really could go much further. And I know buyers were into it. So. So we'll one see. of the things you wrote about, thank you very much while you were away was, were the uh, documentary shorts uh, for the Oscars. And I've been thinking about this one short called, um, in the absence, which has been haunting me. And you picked it as your favorite. It's not the one everyone else is picking. Uh, But I'm thinking that if enough people say, you have to see this movie, this is the one to take seriously, maybe maybe it will uh, rise up to to the top. I have learned the hard way um, over the years um, in many, many, many uh, Oscar pools that even when I go with my gut and pick my favorite, it doesn't win. <laughs> and yeah. when I try to calculate the one that the Academy's going to like because it tugs their heart or whatever, uh, it doesn't win either. You, The shorts are a crapshoot. It's really hard to tell because I, I don't know how everybody's watching these, but the 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 in the absence short that deals with this terrible boat sinking in South Korea and, and the fallout. I mean, it, the more you think about it, just the, the different co- components of film language involved in this so thing, the archival. It is and, yeah, so it's well just, made. But it, I but talked it, to but the filmmaker a, at the Academy lunch on Monday. But it's a hard watch because it's a hard watch because the first act is, you know, it's, um, it's it's watching this boat sink and, and there's school children trapped inside and then the second they act is, is the fallout. They have yeah, videos so, from so a lot of this the boat is... that they re- they rescued. And, and look, so so it's it even is, though they were buried the... in water, uh, they were you could you could actually get the memory out and and retrieve it, which is interesting. Yeah, so so uh, yeah, there, it's 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 a very sophisticated piece and it's the first like like uh, Parasite. This is the first Korean film ever nominated for this award so there there are reasons to single it out across the board but also other movies that are nominated like st louis superman that make you feel a little more they go down a little easier that are just as i mean that they, could that's be a well-made movie a perfect too. academy uh not waiting for winner. it i'm sorry st st louis superman, st. Louis superman the one from yeah. sheila nevins and mtv right it's, exactly it's, it's very good um, and I could see that doing well too. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so the Oscar lunch was fun. Uh, the usual uh, ritual of the, of the people going up and getting, you know, lining up for the class photo that they take every year. Um, Laura Dern usually reads off the names, but she was a, new, a nominee and got a big round of applause. So you're always measuring the applause. Pete Hammond insists that uh, Robert De Niro 
got the most applause. Um, and he was there as the producer of, of the Irishman. So there was some sympathy for him for being hmm. not nominated for best. But De Niro, actor. it's like, he always gets a bunch of applause. Oh my God. He's, he's, he's been <laughs> on the, he's been on the tribute track all season. He's really, I, I see how everyone treats him. I, I get it. Um, and he deserves it. Um, so that was interesting. And then, and then the one that I thought got the most, uh, applause the warmest most resounding applause was Bong Joon-ho and that's been the pattern all season so um and you know Sam Mendes was there looking very uh happy because he's the front runner now with with 1917 and that's been building ever since nominations morning where they did much better than everyone expected that the, they will peak on Sunday I will predict that they will do very well at the BAFTAs and that will be another feather after winning the PGA, after winning the Drama Globe, after winning the DGA. Um, that nineteen seventeen looks very, very strong. Uh, I guess the win. question is, yeah. So, so, but we got a few days left for for before voting closes. Just how much of of this movie is is, is, is I mean, just how much of this is a done deal? I mean, is could Parasite still upset because I think Hollywood Parasite's doesn't seem like problem is that people see it as the best international film, the way they saw Roma that way. And and you and I and a lot of other people are rooting for Parasite. It's up there. It's in a three-way race. And you could even argue a four-way race with Irishman, the fourth. Um, it's in a three-way race with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and, 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 uh, and 1917. And, and I'm fascinated uh, to see. And then, and then JoJo keeps winning guilds. It, it won the the costume guild the other day and, and, you know, little women isn't even nominated. So I'm fascinated by the idea that people think little women's going to win best costume. You know, okay, I'll tell you one thing we did this as usual, our Dropbox studio uh, at Sundance this year. And I did a bunch of video interviews with people. And one of the things we asked those who seem to be at least well-versed in, in, in these things is if you could give the Oscar to one movie, what you would give it to, lot a lot of parasite love well you're at sundance you know okay but there is a lot of parasite love there's no question that there's a huge amount of parasite love i thought he was bong joon ho was going to win director i see that it's probably mendy's now because it just goes for the one that has done the most spectacular technological big movie usually and then and then the other the other thing is is that is that he could win something like screenplay or um, production design. But I actually think it'll be Tarantino and I think it'll be Dennis Gassner for 1917. So it's, it's just go through all the categories, Jojo and little women. Are they, is Greta definitely winning adapted screenplay or could it go to Taika YTT? I mean, it's a, it's not that simple. There's people put favorites in different, they, like marriage story, Laura Dern has to win for a, so that that movie wins something that that's how they think. Yeah, no. I mean, that's, that's the problem also with parasite in the sense that people like to spread the love, right? right. So you, you vote for it in foreign and then you don't do picture. And I think that's a, that's a mistake. Well, they're supposed you know, to but... the deal. They're supposed to rank their movies. And Tom Brueggemann brought bless his heart, tries to explain the whole thing in the story we ran this week. You're supposed to rank them in the order that you really do like them. And if you try to fool around with it, you mess everything up because it's a preferential ballot and they just take the number ones and then they, 
eliminate the one with the least number ones, and then they take those ballots and they look at the number twos. Right. And so they just go through this whole, of... they whittle it, whittle it, whittle it, whittle it down to the end until there are only two films left. So even right, if you so vote like... for something at number nine, it can on your ballot, that could be the one that wins. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's so, so the advice should be, if you don't want something to win, don't put it on there at all. Right. No, apparently it, it, the worst thing you can do for the ones that you want to win is do that. You want you you want to have all nine movies in there with the one you like the least at the bottom. Okay. Well, that's that's an important point. So if somebody doesn't want 1970 or if someone wants Parasite to beat 1970, there's no gaming it stage. is the point. You can't <laughs> game it. People think that it's like a plurality. They think that there's there's some kind of averaging going on. It isn't like that. It's it's really not a, a question of, of of moving something you don't like. Um, it's not going to make any difference where you put it on your ballot. It just it just will invalidate what you like if you move things around. It's just too bad you can't game the system because this system deserves to be gamed. <laughs> it's I mean, a system on. no one understands. <laughs> People tell them to put something at the bottom. People tell them not to put things on at all. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So all right, uh, so. That's next what's week, going on. So next week, um, I'll be at LA. We'll be this. Uh, that'll be our last recording before the Oscars. So we'll have just a couple more days to uh, to figure out what we think and it's going to be. To our black tie duds and go to oh, the yeah. this year. I, I guess I better uh, make a stop at the That's dry cleaner soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So we'll talk soon. Thanks have for filling us in on Sundance. Anytime. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye.